Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'm under state-ordered quarantine, and I'm all hopped up on Red Baron Pizza. Let's talk about some stuff I watched on streaming. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Oh, right. So yeah, since the movie theaters in Ohio have been ordered closed as non-essential businesses, uh, I've been resorted to streaming, and uh, I didn't get a lot watched, mainly because I'm still uh, <laughs> still trying to get myself focused on do- being productive, and more often than not, I'll I'll give in to the uh, depression model of why do things? We could just sit in bed and not do things. So, um, yeah, this week I didn't get a whole lot watched. I did finish, um, I watched all four seasons of Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. And that was interesting, because for those who don't remember, the cast there is really solid. Like, Harvey Birdman is played by Gary Cole, who is uh, Lumberg in, um, I think Lumberg, uh, the boss character in uh, Office Space. You know, the one who, you know, uh, yeah, if you could finish those TP reports by noon, that'd be great. I, I think that's Lumberg. Um, but yeah, that's Gary Cole, uh, who's a, uh, you know, very, very, uh, uh, you know, well-regarded character actor. Apparently he played Harvey Birdman throughout the entire course of the series. You've also got Stephen Colbert as his boss and um, Reducto, the shrink, <laughs> Reducto, the shrink, the shrink. <laughs> Every, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Stephen Colbert's Reducto is fantastic. What kind of superhero loses his powers from a cup of coffee? <laughs> Stop back! <laughs> um, you've got Maurice LaMarche playing a whole bunch of characters, uh, namely most of the Hanna-Barbera characters. Uh, Grey Delisle. Uh, uh, I forget what her, her married name is now. Um, she follows me on Twitter. I'm still thrown off by the fact that she follows me on Twitter. Like She liked one of my tweets a while back, and I'm like, oh, Griffin. That's it. Uh, Gray Griffin. Um, back then, it was Delisle. Uh, but yeah, she's basically known mostly as... Uh, she's been a voice actress for years. So a bunch of the 90s stuff you'll probably remember her from. Uh, she played a bunch of the uh, Hanna-Barbera characters as well. As uh, they, She also played Harvey Birdman's secretary. Uh, you got Paget Brewster, uh, best known. I met, I was introduced to her through the Thrilling Adventure Hour, but she was on uh, the last season of Community, and uh, what's her big thing? Hold on. Uh, I know she's known for something. Apparently she was in Batman and Harley Quinn uh, as Poison Ivy. She was in Unaccompanied Minors and Eulogy? Huh. Apparently they are doing a Bird Girl spinoff. Weird, weird that they're doing it now. Um, she play, she plays Della Duck in the current in the current iteration of Ducktales and Paige Sinclair on BoJack Horseman. Uh, she's been in American Dad, Another Period, um, Grandfathered, a bunch of voices on Venture Brothers, Dan Versus. So she's been a she's she's a comedic actress and um been a voice actress for a while now. Uh, but yeah, she plays Bird. I didn't, re- I forgot she played Bird Girl. <laughs> She's fantastic in it. Uh, Louis Black as a character, as a recurring villain. Peter McNichol. 
Um, uh, what's his What's his character's name? And he's best known for uh, Ghostbusters too. Um, as uh, am I thinking of the right guy? I'm thinking, yeah, the guy from Ghostbusters too. Um, let me see. Janos Poha, the uh, curator. He's Vigo. You were like the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, you may also know him from Adam Family Values. Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, Ali McBeal. He was a big. He was on for a bunch of stuff. Uh, a lot of voice acting. Uh, he was Tom Lennox on Twenty Four. Um, Spectacular Spider Man. He played Doctor Octopus. So he's been doing a lot of voice acting. Uh, Grey's Anatomy he's been on. Uh, Star Wars Rebels. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Uh, Veep. Tangled the series. Um, so yeah, he's been... He's been... In, you know, people think... Maybe think... I think most people will probably think of him. He's apparently listed as known for Sophie's Choice. But I feel like most people would know him as the art curator from uh, Ghostbusters 2. And yeah, he plays the main recurring antagonist of Harvey Birdman, X the Eliminator, and who's just this wonderfully portrayed cartoonish villain and so horribly incompetent. I love it. And Peter McNichols sells it perfectly. Rounding out the cast, you've also got Phil Lamar, consummate voice actor, and Billy West, consummate voice actor. So a bunch of uh, veteran voice actors as well as some really solid casting. Like, this is right before Colbert like, got super big off of The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. So this is early days of Stephen Colbert playing up that sort of snarky, upper upper crust sort of character, as uh, as well as also playing play, uh, uh, a cartoonishly, you know, neurotic, uh, antagonistic prosecutor. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's... The makers also are really well-versed in... Um, Hanna-Barbera history. So, like, most of the early... It, it gets weirder as the seasons go on. The first two seasons, specifically, are very well-versed in even the minutia of uh, Hanna-Barbera history. So, they got, like... like There's a character who Harvey Birdman essentially marries in a polyamorous sort of uh, marriage who is one of, one of Hanna-Barbera's weird superheroes named Gravity Girl, but they call her Gigi here, and she's just basically... You know, the girl who gets around and Harvey's like, and Harvey's just like left dumbfounded because she's always, you know, miles ahead of him. You've also got like Inch High, Private Eye, um, the various Shaggy, uh, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy ripoffs like uh, the Neptunes and um, uh, the, the Buggy, the Dune Buggy show had a bunch of uh, Mystery Inc. ripoffs on it. Um... And then, of course, you've got your classics, Flintstones, Jetsons, um, Yogi Bear. Um, try to think what else is featured. Um, and yeah, it, dig, it even digs back into the origin of Har, Har, origins of Harvey Birdman. Like, they take one episode where it's just old footage of a Harvey Birdman uh, superhero show and just redub it over <laughs> with the current voice cast, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's... It's, um... It's a solid show. Uh, I think the first two seasons are the better half. The second two seasons get really hit or miss. And especially the finale did not feel very in line with the show. It felt like it wanted to try and be big and spectacular. But I feel like it would be, it's out of character for the show. 
And yeah, it's I feel like it got a bit too big for its own britches and kind of lost the narrative when it was just simply Harvey Birdman as a as a as a loser attorney defending Hanna-Barbera characters is where it had its greatest footing. But the bigger it tried to get, the less it the more lost that that humor to it. Um I also checked out uh that new show from Amy Polar, Duncanville over on Fox. Uh it's it's not bad. I'll say this, it's not bad. Uh, the humor is not perfect, but I did get good chuckles out of it. I di- one thing I did like was I think the third episode in, there's a they go to a strip club and at no point do they shame the strippers. It's just in fact the joke is um Amy Poehler as the mom character tells her her son, also played by Amy Poehler, that they're just working girls like your mom. And so he imagines one of the strippers as his mom and freaks out. So it's a real so so I, I'm glad that they they when had when they had the opportunity to shame uh, strippers and sex workers that they didn't take that joke that it was just now nah, these these are just working gals that they're, they're just doing their job and there's no shame there's there's no shame on what they're on their line of work. Um, I do think, uh, I'm trying to think what all the episodes, let me pull up some of the episodes. Um, I know the big one I missed, uh, as I'm recording, the most recent one was, it was really weird because they have an adopted, um, they don't say what, I, they don't, I think she's, uh, Chinese, uh, her, the character's name is Jing and she's a three-year-old girl, I'm assuming she's adopted, I'm, I'm guessing they're gonna go further into they went further into it in this episode but basically she has a crush on duncan and the episode the most recent episode is about her wanting to marry duncan and it that bit feels really off-putting i feel like it's not i feel like that's gonna be one of the less good episodes of the season but um so far they had an episode of like a super a super smart fridge that actually actively collects your date your data and is secretly a plot by corporations to take over the world um there's one about esports that's a bit more in the know but not exactly um really well written either uh there's one about um how their town celebrates burning witches and uh rashida jones plays um duncan's love interest Mia, who is a very, you know, very woke, although not as, like, terribly written. She's not terribly written written woke, which is what a lot of Hollywood seems to forget about these kind of characters. You know, so many Hollywood writers, so many people working in the entertainment industry think think of woke as, like, how Marvel recently announced their non, first, not, first open, first, you know, prominent non-binary characters as snowflake and safe space so yeah like that's the kind of stuff you think of like of writers and especially like the entertainment industry writing wokeness and whereas me is just more like what you what most social justice minded people are pointing out the hypocrisies and the you know the bad the bad parts of you know like the fact that they're actively celebrating burning women who probably didn't practice witchcraft but she's stuck in a backwards town who doesn't who can't who doesn't see who can't look past that and probably do believe in witchcraft um but yeah i think the fritch episode and the uh 
the third episode where uh, we get more in more about um, uh, the mom character where we learn like she really wants to be a detective and she's stuck as a meter maid. And so she tries to lead an undercover operation to find out uh, who's selling uh, counterfeit goods in the tour to town, especially when it turns out her son was involved. And yeah, it's, it's solid. There's solid writing in here. I'm not sure if the, um, if the new episode is going to, how, how good that one's going to be. The sister wife. Um, let me say something. Uh, ratings, ratings, ratings. I don't want to rate this. I want to see the ratings. No ratings listed. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see until after tonight. But yeah, I, it's a really, yeah, the, the whole thing with the do- with the adopted daughter wanting to marry and having a crush on her brother is really awkward. That's the other thing, too, is, like, the crushes are interesting. Like, Duncan has a sister, played by Ricky Lindholm, who's fantastic, who has a crush on one of his friends, and he has a crush on um, Mia, the Rashida Jones character, and then there's this crush on, on Duncan by the adopted uh, daughter, and it's just, like, really super creepy. It feel it just feels wrong. Like part of it, I I think maybe the way they they're gonna try and explain it in this is that it's everyone thinks it's like cute. It's like oh, you think you're gonna marry your brother? You know that's so that's so cute. Kids are kids are adorable, and it's like no, this is really off putting and creepy, and this needs to stop. So hopefully, this could go horribly wrong, and I'm gonna have to wait until like tomorrow or so to see. If how it turns out, but yeah, if you get the chance, check out some of Duncanville. Uh, the first episode is probably the weakest. The pilot is not all that compelling, but um, Undercover Mother is the name. Oh God, that uh, white people. Why do you got to be like this? Anyway, um, just call it Undercover Mother. Literally, just call it Under. God damn it. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, check out Undercover Mother and Friggy. Um. And yeah, I'll, I'll keep you tuned in with um, what my thoughts on the new episodes as they come out. And then I think the only other thing I got the chance to... I'm working my way through Mc, Mc, uh, McMillions, the HBO documentary miniseries on how basically a group of people at the marketing team that created the uh, Monopoly game for McDonald's cheated the whole thing and all the big prizes went to like insiders and it's really really crazy to watch unfold but the only other thing i watched this week was uh i rewatched zootopia and i think coming back to it i found a couple of a couple of things that bugged me um the main thing was the godfather shrew i think the godfather shrew thing is still pretty forced like it's not terrible but it is definitely edging on the DreamWorks. Oh, if we reference a famous thing, you'll get it. <laughs> nah, I don't think it needed to be. Go- I don't think it needed to be full Godfather. But um, yeah, I think that's probably the lowest bit for me. You know, whereas I think the way they handled the Breaking Bad reference with the sheep it was much better because it wasn't so elongated. It was a quick like. You know, hey, here's a reference to Jesse and Walter from Breaking Bad, and they're wearing the hazmat suits. And then it's done. And the Godfather sequence goes goes on for, like, whole... And it's also tied into the plot, too. So it's just, like, just goes on for this extended period of time. 
And it's just, I feel so unnecessary. It did not need to be a full-on Godfather reference, I don't think. But, um, like, especially the, on the day of my daughter's wedding. You know, it's like that full, the full Marlon Brando. It feels like, oh, come on. You're better than this. You don't need to do the full-on, like, imitation, too. Just make it about, just make it about generic mob boss. You know, it, it, it just doesn't have to, it doesn't, why does every mob boss have to be Marlon Brando? God damn it. Anyway, um, the other thing I noticed going in, coming out of this was, did Nick Wilde need to become a cop? I know the arc is that Nick and Judy become closer as friends throughout this whole thing after starting off as antagonists to each other. And, you know, they, they pick on each other this whole time, but it's after learning more about who they are and seeing, you know, seeing the the person, you know, the person that they are deep down and eventually Judy overcoming her own prejudices and coming back to Nick and letting him know that she she realizes how, you know, that she screwed up and she was a terrible friend and that she wants to, that she genuinely wants to make amends for it. And I guess my question is did Nick need to become a cop? I feel like the I feel like the Though I feel like it would have been just as good if Judy had Nick as a person on the outside. Like he doesn't necessarily commit crimes anymore. Like he's not a he's not a con artist anymore. But he's just the man on the street. You know, uh, she, he's like an informant almost. Uh, I don't know. Just feel like uh, uh, maybe or maybe like a like um uh, uh uh what's the character's name in uh in uh. Starsky and Hutch, um, Sugar Bear, uh, the, played by, um, Snoop Dogg in the movie, let me see, Starsky, Hutch, let me see the character's name, Huggy Bear, I knew it was a bear, uh, maybe, well, like a Huggy Bear thing, where it's like, Nick is the, Nick is the, Nick is the one on the streets learning all the information, and then, the detect and then Judy comes to him, to learn, you know, to learn the ins and outs of what's going on, and then uh, he Nick helps her out and binds. I don't know. I don't. I, I guess I never got the arc that Nick needed to become a cop, whereas Judy was dead set on being a cop. And I feel like Nick just becomes a cop so he can be friends with Judy. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's other. You know, once again, minor nitpicks that I noticed this time going in. Uh, I mean, uh, coming out of and. Once again, it's it's a fantastic movie, and I think what's interesting is rewatching it. You see the prejudice from minute one. Once you catch on to how prejudiced Judy is, uh, you know, at the halfway point, at the, you know, like the, the at the third act point, when you go back and rewatch it, you see that all that prejudice is there from day one, and you see her having to overcome that just as much as anything else. So it's like. Yeah, she is put upon. Yeah, she's not taken seriously. But she holds those same prejudices that people hold against her. And it's the journey of the movie. It's her realizing her own prejudices and overcoming them in order to showcase to everybody. Yeah, you all have prejudices about me being a bunny, being a cop. But I had my own prejudices. And the best way to overcome that is to realize where we were wrong and to be better people. I think that's I think that's a really well I think that's a fantastic choice by the writers. I think they they did the exact right thing in reminding people that just because Judy 
you know, came from the small town and proving herself as, you know, this can't, you know, this can do, you know, I can do anything. I'm, you know, nothing's going to get in my way. That doesn't mean she's perfect either. And it's her, her coming to terms with her own prejudices is just as important as a story as the overarching story of her proving her proving to her colleagues that she's a good that she can be a good cop. So yeah, it's I also <laughs> didn't catch this the initial time I got probably because I wasn't as into the special, but the the otter character that goes wild is named after the Jim Henson Christmas special Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas Emmett Otterton. And it's such a random reference that unless you are familiar with that with that special, you would never catch it. And it's a beautiful little reference. It's just like once again, whoop, it's there and then it's gone. And it's like, oh, it's a cute little Easter egg. I feel like that's I feel like that's yeah. That, that's why that and the Breaking Bad reference works better than the Godfather one. But uh, and also the DMV scene is still the funniest thing in the damn movie. <laughs> you know, it's it, God the the physical humor. It's the physical humor of the faces, the way they animate every step of the of like the sl of um Flash la laughing and like all, how everything is like at, at, you know at, at like probably a frame a second almost is so slow. It is fantastic. So yeah, if you haven't rewatched it in a while, check it out on Disney Plus. Zootopia still holds up, and I still think we should get a Zootopia TV series at some point. And if Disney's not working on that, they need to, because it's a perfect setup. Like, I I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I did come up with my own TV version spinoff of both Lady and the Tramp from the direct-to-video sequel, as well as a Bambi TV series based on the direct-to-video sequel, Back when I was, you know, like preteen, when back when those came out in the in the mid aughts, I watched those and I'm like, you could easily. And then like my mind went spinoff material, and I'm like, you could do this and this and this, have this story, do this story, do this story, and I, and I'm kind of glad that those didn't take off because I also had a inserted raccoon sidekick character for the Lady and the Tramp one. I could go on and on about the really terrible ideas I had as a kid. In fact, I might do that if I can get, you know, some more supporters on Patreon. I'll do like a breakdown of every terrible idea I've had as it, since I was a kid. And, um, but at any rate, um, I think this, the, the, after leaving the theater the first time, I immediately once again thought of what you could do. Like you could do the, her relationship with the shrew mafia and how that could affect her her bit her because she's friends with the daughter of a mob boss but then she has to investigate the mob boss for crimes and you know that you know the that conflict of interest you know nick wilde's past keeps coming back to haunt him um Ju judy's parents come meet at the same time as nick's parents do and they still have those pre and they're still worried about those prejudices showing up um, you know, like various, all kinds of stories to be told in, within this universe. And I kind of hope they do eventually bring up a TV series, even if it's like just for Disney plus or whatever, uh, Zootopia TV series, I think would be fantastic. So yeah, that about covers what I watched this week. I'll see if I can get some more done next week, finish up with McMillions and whatnot, but, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be a discussion time. You are 
You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying I took care of the coronavirus discussion because that was immediate. That was front and center, the first thing that really needed to be discussed since I was bringing back the discussion portion of the show. And this time around, I wanted to go back to the ones that really reignited my passion and wanting to to discuss these topics because I felt like Initially, when I took my break and my hiatus, I'm like, There's, oh, I'm running out of ideas and I want to go into, into it further and I'm not doing a very good job. And so coming back to it, there's a lot more to be talking about. And so much has happened that I'm noticing that I want to discuss about the industry that um, this time around, we're going to be t- discussing the big one before the coronavirus hit. And that was the closure of Moving Pictures Company's Vancouver office. Uh, For those who don't know, Moving Pictures Company is an effects house that has offices in various parts of the world, namely big, you know, big um, filming areas like Toronto. uh, I think they have Toronto. Let me see. Um, I know they have Los Angeles Moving Picture Company. They have offices in Los Angeles, New York, Montreal, not Toronto. Um, they're headquartered in London. They have offices in Amsterdam, ben- Bengaluru, um, which is in India, Paris, and Shanghai. So um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Bengaluru. Um, if I'm mispronouncing that, let me know. Uh, but yeah, they're a London-based um, uh, effects house, and they have o- satellite offices you know, in various places with major film studio presence. Uh they are best known before, you know, as well as doing the redesign for Sonic the Hedgehog. They've worked up, they won awards for Life of Pi. They worked on the Jungle Book. They worked on, um, I think the Vancouver office also worked on The Lion King. They've worked on 1917, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. They worked on Sully. They worked on uh, Blade Runner 2049. And they've also worked on The Martian, X-Men Days of Future Past, Maleficent. A lot of work with Disney. And they did a bunch of the Harry Potter. They worked on every Harry Potter movie since four, it looks like, as well as uh, Chronicles of Narnia movie, the second Chronicles of Narnia movies, uh, the second two of three, it looks like, or at least the second one. Um, no, they did the other, two, the they did the third one, uh, Dawn Treader. Did they do the first one? They've been in business since nineteen. 19- they worked on Goldeneye. And Muppet Treasure Island. So this studio has been around, you know, since nineteen since the nineteen eighties, and yeah, so they they've been here a hot minute. Um, they worked on Troy, Sucker Punch, X Men First Class, Batman v Superman. So they, but I'll get into more of um, how that how they got their hands in so many pies 
or fingers in so many pies. Uh, suffice to say that the big news before the coronavirus really kind of shuttered everything was how the Sonic the the studio that did the Sonic redesign was shut was closed off last minute, like uh, December twelfth, twenty nineteen is when the news broke that their Vancouver office was being shut down and an internal memo leaked and then 80 people, the 80 people that were working there were all laid off and then they were given the opportunity to work at one of our other fine uh, locations, but you know. So yeah, the Vancouver offices were shuttered uh, you know, just suddenly. And like I mentioned, they worked on Sonic the Hedgehog, Detective Pikachu. They were also tied to the Cats CGI, which I won't hold that against them. But um, I think what what we come to learn about leading and leading into this closure was reminder that a lot of people in the VFX industry are suffering are suffering from something that also ties into the game industry, which is massive crunch, no little to no union representation, and just terrible treatment of the effects artists and the you know, the people actually making the things that we watch. And, you know, I, if I was any good at, re, at, at, at uh, impressions, I would try to do it. I would try to do it. Oh, God, I can't do it. I've watched him so much. I want to do a Jim Sterling impression for this because it's so, it is so right. Because everything about this is ripe for a Jimquisition style takedown of the, of the, entertain, of the entertainment industry. Hello, my name is Jim Sterling. I wrestle, don't you know? God, I have no idea how terrible that is. Nobody share this with Jim. I love him too much for him to hear this terrible impression. But suffice to say that um, that this is this is also isn't the this isn't the first time we've seen an effects studio in Hollywood be shut down after winning awards and and make raking in the millions, as it were. <laughs> stop i'm sorry i'm so sorry um for those who don't remember the life of pi also suffered from the same thing I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry i'm gonna stop i i swear i swear i swear i'm gonna stop mm. Mm. but yeah uh rhythm and hughes is the name of the studio uh they worked on life of pi so while moving picture company also worked on life of pi the studio rhythm and hughes what, what who was part of the team that won the award for best visual effects, uh, specifically the Oscars for Life of Pi, shut down before they could receive those awards because of they by declaring Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, and then they were subsequently bought out by a by another effects house who kept the name. So there's Rhythm and Hughes is still in business under the same name. But they had to be bought out by a competitor in order to stay in business. So, and so you may be wondering why you may be wondering why all this is happening. How how come these big effects studios working on big budget Hollywood titles keep closing down? <laughs> God damn it! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I watched too much Jim Jim Sterling, and this is too perfect um, to not go into my Jim Sterling. Uh, <laughs> Suffice to say that, yeah, um, what happens in the industry is there is an over... Because so much of the industry relies on these big tentpole releases and they all require so hours upon hours, hundreds of hours of labor to make these effects work and look good that 
big studios can't rely on single effect houses to do all the work anymore, so they will spread out the work. So the reason Moving Picture Company is tied to so many movies is because big these big studios are giving everybody the work. They spread the work out across various effect houses, specifically the ones with the lowest bids. So the studios will pay as little as possible and spread the work out as much as they can in order to get it done in time. And in doing so, they will also cause for long hours of crunch. Everyone's face, you know, the, the video game industry devs know all about this crunch. It's crunch time, everybody. I swear I'm going to stop before the end of the episode. I, I promise. It's just too goddamn good. Um, it's, too, it's too perfect. A correlation. But yeah, you've got this oversaturated market of studios on top of each other bidding the lowest they can in order to just get a job from these big studios. It's, um, I'm trying to think of like, I, there's a, I don't, I forget the specific species of fish or the genus that does it, but it's just like they just swarm in just to get any semblance of a bite. And so they're all on top of each other to get what little bits and crumbs from the major studios and they're all quick done and gone jobs they're just they're bare, they're for months at a time and then boom you're on to the next one and so they'll pile jobs on top of each other on top of that so you've got people having to juggle various movie company jobs for this you know while working at the same effects house but they're also juggling it between effects houses and it all has to be done boom bam bing bang boom all for the as little money as possible to the studio while they rake in all the profit from the from the eventual while we, they rake in all the profit for themselves <laughs> all of the box office money goes to big disney and warner brothers while the people over at moving picture company have to close their doors because whoops can't pay the rent all we got was our mere pittance from the from the big from the big nice mouse sitting upon his throne <laughs> damn it i'm sorry um yeah, it, but that's basically the idea is that the studios will pay as little as possible and then there's no return on investment for these effects houses. The effects houses are paid one and done and have to move on to the next one. One and done, boom, bam, next one, next one, next one. It's a literal gig economy for movie effects houses and they have to keep piling on gigs on top of each other and every artist has to work 10-hour days, if not more so. So it's all crunch all the time for these effects houses. And then you wonder why artists, you know, are suffering from various levels of fatigue and, oh, you know, terrible mental health. Because they're being mistreated. They're being used as disposable labor. They're being used as disposable labor. <laughs> It doesn't matter to these effect houses. They got their money and the big studios can rake in all the profits they want while you work on the next Harry Potter film or Disney live action remake. Oh, God damn it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. This whole episode is going to be an apology to Jim Sterling for a terrible impression of him. Uh, I wish I was so... If I had more time to work on it, I would have done a full Jimquisition discussion portion. This whole thing would have just been a Jimquisition audio episode. But I'm too lazy and depressed and everything to do that. Um, uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that's kind of the big issue with this is, much like with the game industry, the effects house industry in Hollywood is overworking its employees by doing each by piling gigs on top of each other b 
because studios will spread out the work to whoever they can to get the job done. And so they're more concerned with getting the job done fast and cheap. And so in order to do that, they'll spread it across various effects companies. And then those effects companies will work their employees to the bone. And then eventually those effects companies can't stay in business anymore because there's no long-term contracts and there's no real protection for them but from the big studios. There's no return on investment. If the effect, Think about this. If the effects companies... You know, if the effects houses got a fraction of the box office for things like Avengers Infinity War, for Avengers Infinity War, or Avengers Endgame, or Harry freaking Potter, or the latest Disney live-action tripe, maybe, maybe they could afford to pay their employees better. Maybe they could afford to stay in business. But no, all of it has to go to that filthy rat atop his throne of conquered IPs and, and competition. Uh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think that's the big problem is that... And this is coming from an outsider. I have no idea about the inner workings of the film industry. I'm just commenting on what I am seeing just, you know, written about in Variety and uh, industry, you know, from other industry... Media, industry news outlets, you know, they're just, they're talking about why this keeps happening. And then, uh, there's actually a Quora post Quora being one of those, uh, alternative to Yahoo answers sort of, you know, like, um, um, it's like a, how, how would you describe Quora? Um, but it's like an answer question and answer service, but there people can actually display their, um, credentials and so people were, somebody commented on why it's becoming common for these visual effects companies to go bankrupt because the rhythm and hues and, um, and moving picture company are the big, biggest releases because they're tied to, they were tied to award-winning or financially successful, uh, films, but the effects companies go out of business quickly because it's such a cutthroat marketplace because everybody's, because there's so many things there's so many um effects houses starting up because it's so cheap to start up with um much better more widely available computer technology and programs to use and you know once you're competing with a, with a film studio for the lowest price then you could just keep underbidding each other and then ultimately pay you know paying your workers garbage and trading them and you know overworking them and then it doesn't matter if you go out of business or not because it's not like they, they it's it's not like they really work for you anyway you're just a, you're just like a bing bang boom you're out and you're done <laughs> and i think that's the problem is that there's no real steadiness it's all chaos it's ca you know it's chaos it's absolute chaos and it's you know um it's there's no steadiness there's no bedrock to the foundation of that industry and so that, you know, they very well could go belly up as studios aren't, are, are, you know, are kind of on hold for big releases right now. And I think taking this time now, because you think about that's because this isn't the only industry part of the industry that suffers from this. You also people within the industry are also talking about grips and, um, you know, people, people, on you know, people who are actually working on sets who are working gig by gig by gig. And they don't have a guaranteed income. And meanwhile, you have the Producers Guild, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, all of these unions to guarantee 
payment for their for their members while stunt workers and I don't know if uh, cinematographers get it, but like you know, ba- you know, the, so many low-level labor positions that should be protected are not because Hollywood does not care about them. They will not protect the very backbone of their productions because they care more about the people at the top. And I think, and I'm kind of hopeful that in the coming years, as more and more, especially after this major hit um, to to the studios, that hopefully people will take this time to kind of um, reassess the fact that this is not a stable work environment and that they need to stabilize it better. And that, and that means unionizing and taking on the big studios. And I think ultimate, and I'm hoping specifically, they, I, I think the stunt, stunt, stunt workers need to unionize. The effects artists need to unionize all of the, I, I, if they're not, Prominent unions, they need to be more prominent unions. And I think the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild, I don't know if the, I don't trust the Producers Guild, honestly. Maybe they would, but if the Writers and the Directors and the Actors Guild, Film Actors Guild, um, if all these other unions help to promote the unionization of the other parts of the industry, we might see more protection for these workers. And they won't be worked to death in crunch and they won't, and then they'll have stable income, and maybe they'll actually see a return on investment from the thing that they worked on. Wouldn't that be nice? So yeah, um, the reason the Sonic, the, you know, despite working on a multi-million dollar success like Sonic the Hedgehog, didn't help this company is because once again, there's no return on an investment on the back end because everything's up up front and done, and. I think it's, I think that's, uh, I think hopefully the only way to keep this from happening is to better organize the workers, um, to demand payment in the back end, their, you know, their fair share of payment in the back end. And so that the studios don't break in the success while destroying all of the people who actually work on the damn thing. So, yeah, um, that's all I really got to say on that, uh. Um, hope so we'll see maybe and, and once again if you if if you do know because uh, i know that there is sm- a small vfx union um starting to form i think it, as it gains more ground as you can as once again the we get we get away from the idea of unions being a bad thing and being you know for people who feel like they can't join a union for their own benefit because it means they won't be guaranteed work because of the shitty uh line of work that they're in hopefully that that'll begin to change and then we'll see we'll finally get some people standing up to these assholes at the top who are who are doing just fine while they're going while everyone else is going broke for their shitty movie anyway uh we're going to take a quick look at the box office in this week's very tepid box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. So what's interesting is um, the week, the last weekend report actually only came from last weekend, the 13th or the 15th. There is no official weekend compilation for um for the for the box office so in fact the last daily box office report came from thursday the 19th 
And that, so like, and those, and those are in the thousands. Like if you take a look at Thursday, the 19th over on box office mojo, um, the highest grossing daily is 33,000 for onward. So technically onward is still in the top is number one in the box office and all the theaters that are shuttered and closed. And, um, there is actually a spike in Just Mercy and Gretel and Hansel, as well as the booksellers for some reason. Very odd. There's a, there's a bit of a spike for a couple of these, uh, but only for one day. And I'm not sure how how that happened or what the deal is with those. But yeah, there was... Um, yeah, it's all been a steady drop with uh, last with Wednesday the 18th being an 81% drop um, in in terms of money laws. That went from a million down to uh, 240,000. So yeah, it's, (laughs) this is going to be one of the, the, I mean, they were already talking about this being record lows for the box office. This is, this is, this really is just absolutely, they're going to have to dig into their savings for a bit this time because there's just there's because there's nothing they can do until the quarantine's over. So, yeah, that's all I got to say for the box office report. There's no real um, weekend breakdown, uh, although interestingly enough, on Friday the 13th, I still believe was the number one of the box office. And then it went right back to onward. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, as far as um, the last day. Uh, 19th, Thursday the 19th, pretty much, uh, mostly the same. Uh, Fantasy Island at number 10, Bad Boys for Life at number 9, Way Back at number 8, Sonic, uh, The Hunt dropped from 5 to 6, Call of the Wild actually took a, actually saw a bit of a rise, probably because it didn't fall as fast. It's number 5. I Still Believe dropped from 2 to 4, Bloodshot stayed at number 3, Invisible Man, uh, didn't fall as fast. Uh, that's what it looks like is, um, call the wild managed to not fall as fast as the hunt and Sonic, which are like at 40% losses. And then I still believe just dropped over half of its money, yo, of the same profits as from previous days. And then bloodshot maintained its thing. Invisible man is staying in there and then onward is sticking around. So for the little theaters that are out there, uh, that's what's kind of kicking it right now. But um, unless they manage to actually continue onward, uh, with the either weekend reports or the daily reports, uh, I'm probably not going to do another box office report for the, for a while, but yeah, um, I, I meant, I only kind of did this because, uh, I, I was following film brain on Twitter and he mentioned just how, like how absolutely abysmal the, uh, the box office numbers are in yeah we're talking hundreds of thousands right now this that i don't think i've ever like unless we're talking like 1970s numbers those are not good numbers so hopefully once the um you know think once everything starts to die down and the quarantines are over and the theaters reopen people will feel if you feel compelled you know it'll take a while for people to feel comfortable going back into big groups like in theaters again but uh, hopefully, but we'll get through this and, um, you know, we'll just take it day by day. Once again, no new releases to come out. So that kind of covers it for this, uh, week's episode. Although, um, I'll have to check. I, I know, um, 
they're releasing trolls too early. Let me see. Um, the, uh, I know Onward's about coming into um, D- Disney Plus on April 3rd. If you can buy the movie, not buy the movie, but rent the movie before it comes to Disney Plus, give it a little extra kick just because uh, I don't know how much it's going to help being on Disney Plus if you watch it. Maybe, maybe it will. I don't know. I don't know the merits of Disney Plus when it comes to... Um, uh, when it comes to making m- making money off of it in terms of Disney, but um, early on video release date for Trolls Two is April sixth. So April sixth is gonna be uh, what is that? What day of the week is that? April sixth is gonna be a Monday. So not so I that. I won't be able to watch that until the you I won't be able to review that until the twelfth, which is Easter Sunday. So stay tuned for that uh announce stay tuned for that review. That's the biggest thing coming up. Everything else is just gonna be me working through my old uh Netflix, Hulu, and uh Disney Plus cues and whatnot. So uh yeah. Uh the only other thing is yeah, I'm partway through McMillions. I'm gonna work my way through that this 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 week. And that'll be the big review. That'll probably be the main review I can announce for this coming week. Um, But yeah, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. While you're there, check out all of our other fine programs. We've got Dungeons and Dragon types. The most recent episode of Living in the Stacks is out, where we cover PJ Friel's A Twist of Weird, Akron local uh, author, we had a fantastic discussion. There's minion sex, so be sure to check that out. Uh, you can also check out all of Donna's stuff, Once More With Feeling, the Cap- Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business, The Snarkcast. And if you're a Cellflower podcaster and you want to join our fledgling little family, you can send us any email at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, you can also uh, check us out on uh, your various podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartMedia, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also find us on social media. Our social media home um, is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. I'm on Twitter at cornjunkiepod. I'm not as active there as I, as I should be. I'm going to try and be more active, try to do some munch-alongs. And um, I'm, I'm also on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, which is basically kind of a filler. Not really active on there, especially not since I'm going out to theaters. Um, I may try to make announcements of stuff on like Stardust or whatever. I don't know. I'll try to make use of the Instagram a bit more. Uh, speaking of which, I am on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. Uh, I'm not as, I haven't been reviewing stuff over there for a bit. Uh, I should. I'm gonna get to work on that. Um, and then I'm on Letterboxd at Corn Junkie Pod. You can see my written reviews. Uh, that covers mainly the movies, so they won't. So if you want, so there won't be reviews for like if I cover TV, like The Witcher or The Mandalorian. And the only other thing is, uh, if there's any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of uh, comments you want to make on my reviews, uh, your thoughts on um, what I covered, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or if you want to really help out the podcast, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, speaking of which, I do want to see, just in case I, uh, 
post about it uh, through Cargill's Twitter. No, no new updates for right now. But yeah, if you want to help out the show now, uh, once again, there's no real uh, incentive for you at this point in time until we can get some people can get some income coming in. You're under no obligation if you're if you're just struggling to get by. I'm I'm right there with you. So if you do want to join, you know, if you do want to help out the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/PopcornJunkie. Uh, patrons get to get access to all 10 episodes of my Make a Better Movie series and my Much Along series, which is basically riff tracks. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I'm also thinking of um, allowing for pat- you know other patron content down the line. Um, but it's all, no tears, little as a dollar a month you get to help out and you get to have your say and stuff. So... Join me there over at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie if you can, and if not, that's okay too. Uh, and if you want to send me the email uh, and you want me to read it out on the mic, just let me know in either the message or the subject line, and I otherwise I'll just paraphrase. So that's it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and remember, just to wash your hands, practice your good social distancing, and we'll make it through this. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Mm-hmm.